the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, new focus on wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 28-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I am your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. Those of you listening to the show on the podcast, recording this August 2nd, before market open. And the big news of the day is rating agency Fitch downgraded the U.S. government's credit rating, citing fiscal and political instability. And this is as, you know, the government gets ready to borrow $1 trillion this quarter. And just think about, you know, how, how many people that you know have bought T-bills and, and notes and things like that through a treasury direct account. Um, and, it's not like the government has problems borrowing because they do so through issuing T-bills, T-notes, bonds. The U.S. is paying more on interest rates, though. Interest rates are way up. But there's still plenty of buyers. Debt in this type of a situation is not a problem as long as spending eventually gets on track. But it's not. It's on the wrong path. And, you know, to soapbox a little bit today, we we need new leaders and we need uh, term limits. Um we're at around, our debt is about 120% of GDP. That stands for gross domestic, domestic, pro, gross domestic product. Um, so it's basically the measure of all goods and services created within the U.S. And so our debt is 120% of that. Now, we've seen countries hit higher. GDP to debt or the, the debt to GDP ratio, or rather in Japan is expected to reach 266% by the end of 2023, according to some sites. One is... Uh, trading economics, uh, global macro models and analyst. Um, when I was looking at this announcement this morning, and by the way, before the market opened today, futures are only down about a half a percent on the S&P 500 um, and rates only down slightly, it looks like on the 10 year. But one of the best articles I see, I saw out there was through Reuters, David Barbuskia. I'm sure I'm butchering the name, but he wrote that Fitch downgraded the United States to an AA plus from a triple A rating, citing fiscal deterioration over the next three years and repeated down the wire debt ceiling negotiations that threatened the government's ability to pay its bills. And Fitch had first flagged the possibility of a downgrade in May. They this this isn't this has been out there because they maintained their position in June after the debt ceiling crisis was resolved, saying it intended to finalize the review in the third quarter of this year. So it came a little early. Um, we're in the third quarter right now, but only what a couple days into it. 
So with the downgrade, it becomes the second major rating agency after Standard & Poor's stripped the United States of its AAA rating as well a while back. It came, this Fitch move came two months after the Democratic President Joe Biden and the Republican-controlled House of Representatives reached a debt ceiling agreement that lifted the government's $31.4 trillion borrowing limit. So this Reuters article goes on to say that U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen disagreed with Fitch's downgrade in a statement that called it arbitrary and based on outdated data. White House said something similar. Um, you know, they're, they're talking about it defies reality to downgrade the United States at a moment when President Biden has delivered the strongest recovery of any major economy in the world, which I think is a crock because you're essentially looking at that type of a recovery situation off COVID. And not, it's not like there's policies that put that into place. It's just something that would have happened regardless of who was president. Now, some people, as this downgrade came out, uh, called for a cascade of selling, especially in the bonds. It's not going to look like it not happened at all. Muhammad Alarian, president of Queens College, um, you know, he used to work with Bill Gross, which was the former bond king out there. So uh, pretty prominent guy in the world of fixed income bonds and the overall economy. He said, overall, this announcement is much more likely to be dismissed than have a lasting disruptive impact on the U.S. economy and markets. So let me soapbox here for a little bit, because the amount of money that I pay in taxes is, is ridiculous. If I wouldn't have a problem with it if roads and bridges were in great shape. If my kids' teachers made a dis decent wage, my sister's a teacher, she does not get paid well enough for what she does, and she doesn't get paid enough to what she has to deal with these days in terms of people being offended and, and triggered and all these other items that are going on that is distracting us giving good education to our children versus other countries. Um, I wouldn't have a problem with paying so much in taxes if there was mental health hospitals and mental health support instead of homeless people running all over the place um, and ruining cities like Portland, like Oakland, like San Francisco, like Chicago, where we're giving tons of money away to other countries where we don't even have mental support for those people that, you know, have issues. Um, and frankly, we have people that are running this country that have never ran a business that don't know what AI is, let alone really know it's how social media works. You can see it from some of these hearings um, and what they focus on. And a lot of people that are running this country, frankly, aren't even allowed to drive anymore if they were to take a driving test. So there are actually some really decent tax rules in place for the middle class. There is right now the current code, the tax code that was passed in 2017 is the best tax code that I've seen for retirees. But higher income earners are getting gutted without seeing the results. And I think a lot of wealthy clients that I work with wouldn't mind even paying slightly more taxes if they thought the government was going to do something good with it. But we are on the wrong path in terms of spending. Now, just kind of, it doesn't really matter right now in terms of you guys buy stocks if you're young and have a balanced portfolio if you're older. It's, it's just, it, this is going to pass. But it just kind of got me a little bit today. And, and, and part of it is just other stories, right? So the, when people say the, the wealthy don't pay their fair share of taxes, it's, you don't know how a tax return works. Um, there might be some of those top 
you know, one percenters that use attorneys and, and different tax schemes that are illegal that, you know, avoid a bunch of taxes. Um, but that's not the common issue. I mean, you, you get your wages reported on either a W-2 or a 1099. If you're self-employed, that flows through your tax return. There's self-employment tax. There's a tax bracket. There's capital gains tax. It, it's not like how politicians kind of try to sell it. It's not the case. At the same time, lower income people are being held down. An example is a, f- a very close friend of ours, a single mom, four kids, deadbeat military dad that um, you know, basically took off, doesn't pay a dime, and his disability, his fake, in my opinion, disability income is not eligible to go after for child support. So we got a single mom, four kids. She finally starts making a decent wage, starts climbing up the ladder, starts making a little bit more money. And instead of getting food stamps and help with daycare, it goes from food stamps and help with daycare. And we're talking about four boys, three of them are teenagers. So they eat a lot of food to taking it all away. There's no like tiered structure here. And that's some, an area of finance I don't know anything about. Um, I, I lived it when I was younger growing up with a single mom, but that's, that's not something I know how to navigate and I wish I could help more, but that, it seems very unfair. So maybe I'm missing something there, but it went from here's a bunch of help to nope, here's no help. And you're actually working backwards once you made more money. That is keeping the lower income down. So in my opinion, I don't want any more Biden. I definitely don't want any more Trump because that's a divisive leader that's in all sorts of legal issues. We need a, a good leader that's truly fiscal conservative. And you can think all you want that these two presidents have done something fiscally conservative between Trump and Biden. Trump started the PPP loans. Biden really didn't do any regulation on it. There's a lot of companies that scammed it. Now we have these ERC credits that you hear advertisements on the radio for of companies that are getting a bunch more free money and they even don't even need it. Um, Biden economy looks only good because of COVID recovery, really. And um, guess who the largest budget deficits in U.S. history were? Donald Trump, Barack Obama, and George W. Bush. So we haven't had a true fiscal type conservative that can kind of get this spending situation on track. So that's all I want to say on my soapbox here for a moment. We need we need new leadership across the board with term limits. Think you're in good shape for retirement? Find out how you're really doing with the seven tests of retirement readiness. Join Rob Black and CFP Chad Burton of EP Wealth Advisors Thursday, August 24th in Los Gatos. They'll walk you through these seven tests to find out whether you are really ready for the retirement you want. Rob will provide timely commentary and Chad will share specific strategies for taxes, income, long-term care, safe money, investing, life goals, and more. If you have at least $500,000 in investable assets and want to retire better, pass on your estate, and minimize taxes, this event is for you. Find out if you're on the right track with the seven tests of retirement readiness. Thursday, August 24th, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at the Los Gatos Toll House Hotel. Space is limited, so sign up today at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. Can you pass all seven tests? Sign up today online at chadburton.com. Do you have a money question for the show? Let's go to chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. While you're there, you can sign up for the event that Rob Black and I are doing in Los Gatos at the Toll House Hotel. It's August 24th. We're going to go over seven key tests that you need to essentially put yourself through, your portfolio through, 
your expenses through before you get ready to retire. So you could just go to chadburton.com to check that out. Links to the podcast are there, everything else, social media, it's all there. Um, when you, when you get a situation like today, August 2nd, for those of you who listen to the podcast, Fitch downgraded the U.S. debt rating um, from a triple A to an AA plus. Treasury Department's calling it arbitrary. Um, it's, you know, Jason, the producer, had to ask, is this unprecedented? Has, has it happened before? It's only the second time. 2011 S&P Global Ratings did it, a slight downgrade. And it was, it's, it's kind of prove a point to say, hey, you guys got to get on track here. We've ran a budget deficit in the country for the last 60 years. Imagine if you ran your household like that, where you are constantly spending more money than you make. There's an issue there, right? And so when you wake up to an announcement like this, it just reminds me what I've said a lot when it comes to the market and corrections. Typically, the major corrections come from something that you're not currently talking about. It's something that kind of comes out of the blue. So it's a good reminder to say, you got to rebalance your portfolio on a consistent basis. Now, it does look like that we are going more into a soft landing. If you would have asked me a year ago and I said, you know, I was, I was kind of on board with, hey, we're going to have, you know, a recession coming up here. We may have a soft landing versus a harder, you know, six to 12 month recession here because unemployment is staying so strong. Now, credit card debt is up. And a big issue is we still have an inverted yield curve. And so to explain what an inverted yield curve is, is when you get more money by lending it, you get more income by lending money on a shorter period than a longer period. Typically, if you're going to lend somebody money for, you know, 10 years, you would want a higher interest rate than if you're going to lend money, some, some money to somebody for just two years, right? Well, right now, if you lend money to the government using a two-year treasury bond, the two-year before the market opened today, August 2nd, is 4.92%. The 10-year treasury is only paying 3.87%. So we've had a very we've had an inverted yield curve for quite a while now. And when you look at the, the stats, it's really hard to say when you have a recession, but you can say that. At some point after the last uh, five inverted yield curves, we've had a recession. Um, but we also tend to have a recession every five to seven years. It's part of a healthy economy because you expand too quickly. People end up borrowing too much money, taking too much risk, and inflation comes into play. And then you've got to knock inflation down before it hurts most of America. And everybody in America can tell you inflation hurt the last few years. Um, we had too much just throw it out there stimulus as a result of COVID. Um, and rather than stimulating economies and in great ways, you had a lot of people buying boats and RVs and, and, you know, ATVs and things like that because <laughs> they were bored during COVID. Um, now let's talk about rebalancing a little bit because uh, some of the things that people look at is say, okay, if I can get almost 5% on a two year treasury or a shorter term bond, why would I buy a longer term bond that's paying less? Well, in the long run, if you do believe that the Fed is close to being done raising rates, and typically when that happens, shortly after they have to lower rates again to avoid a recession, there is, when it comes to bonds, it's just like stocks. With stocks, you have dividends, right? You have companies that pay a dividend on a quarterly basis. You get that nice cash flow regardless of what the stock price is doing. 
but you hope over time the stock price goes up where you have a growth in the stock price. So between the growth in the stock price and the dividend, that's total return. Well, in an environment where rates start to drop because the economy is slowing, bond prices can go up. So in bonds, there's periods of time where you can get a total return that's higher than the income on the bond. So many believe that now is a good time to shift from out of shorter term bonds into some intermediate or longer term bonds in order to lock in that potential for a large total return if the economy starts to slow. Now, we've we've had this big increase in the stock market and you know i can show you plenty of charts and graphs that show that most of this has come from a very small handful of stocks you can look at the qqq and if we we maybe try to pull this up here in a little bit for for those that are you know watching online if we post this up on youtube but here's the deal the the if you look at the NASDAQ, which is mostly tech companies, and most of those same tech companies are the majority of the return of the S&P 500 these days, because the S&P 500 is, is 500 of the largest stocks in America, but it's market cap weighted to the largest companies in America. So you have a bunch of money in the S&P that's in Microsoft and Apple, and, and a lot of these stocks have done really well. But it's a recovery situation. If you look at a lot of these stocks since January 1st of 2022, they're still slightly negative to flat. So you have a huge sell-off in 2022 as a result of the fear of higher rates just crushing these tech companies, and it didn't happen, right? It just didn't happen. Um, so you are looking at a situation which for the year, if we take a look at a chart, the S&P 500 for the year, the, the total return that includes dividends as of before market open on August 2nd is up 20.27%. Now, is this as a result of a growth in revenue? Is it as a, a result of an increase in profits because companies have found ways to cut costs? Well, right now, um, as of last Friday, one of the things I look at is, is FactSet. FactSet, if you Google FactSet Earnings Insight, every Friday they update the numbers when companies are reporting. So as of last Friday, the 28th, we had 51% of the S&P 500 companies reporting actual results. 80% of the S&P 500 companies reported positive earnings per share uh, surprise and 64 reported a, a positive revenue surprise. However, right now we're on track to blended earnings decline for the S&P 500 is negative 7.3%. All right. So right now of the companies that have reported, we have a blended earnings decline of 7.3%. Now it's, it's a little bit all over the place right now, though. Six of the 11 sectors are reporting a year-over-year -year earnings growth led by consumer discretionary communication services sectors. But uh, five sectors are reporting a year-over-year -year decline in earnings led by energy because they had done so well before. So that's kind of coming off those highs as oil prices came down. Material stocks, that's, again, inflation is coming down, so they're not making as much money. And healthcare stocks. So... We have a mixed result of the S&P 500, yet a large increase, and that's because the large increase is coming from tech. So good time to rebalance because some of those valuations in that large cap tech space has become, they've become lofty. Um, if I get to it, there's a really good Forbes article on companies that are actually making money off AI, and it's just a handful. All the other ones that are talking about AI, it's a promise to the future. This is what we think we can do in the future 
And so it's a valuation increase, right? So a valuation when it comes to the S&P 500 is a price to earnings, the price of the stock divided by the earnings per share. And right now, when we look at the forward 12-month PE ratio based on the companies that are reported, it's 19.4 is the forward PE. That's above the five-year average of 18.6 and above the 10-year average of 17.4. Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all three pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirado Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiradopass.com. I'm talking a little bit more about rebalancing and, and, and the idea that, you know, if we look at the last 50 years, the numbers are about the S&P 500 index is has been positive around 74% of the time. The average annual rate of return is around 11%. But we do have those other you know, 26% of the time it is negative. The average return that I've looked at when it's negative is right around negative 14%. And that sounds like a small number, right? When you have a decline of negative 14%, but you have to equate that to the value of your portfolio. So as you age and as your the amount of money you have in your portfolio increases, uh, you, know, you know, you need more than a million dollars these days to retire because you can only draw about three and a half, four percent to be safe, that's only 40 grand a year. And so if you have a decline on a million dollars of 14%, that's $140,000 to the downside that you would see on paper. Now, that's not a big deal if you're feeding your portfolio or if you have other things to live off of while the market recovers, because it always does. Look at 2022, both stocks and bonds were down at the same time. S&P 500 was down around 22%, bonds were down about 13%. Um, that's not common when stocks and bonds are bound both at the same time, but it's happened before, happened in the 80s, for example. And so you have to have money on the sidelines ready to go if you run into a situation like that because the stock market will recover unless you panic and sell or unless you have to sell at the bottom in order to pay your expenses. So in a situation like this, when you look at the market, we've had a big increase. We've had a big recovery since the 2022 tech wreck. and Now's a good time to take some off the table if you're getting close to retirement, rebalance, reduce risk, get some cash ready to go as you retire. Now, if you don't need the money yet, maybe it's just working on a basic rebalance. I mean, some of the things that we're doing in a normal balanced portfolio is slight reduction in commodities, slight reduction in short-term rates, moving a little bit more into longer uh, intermediate and longer term bonds, a little bit less in US and a little bit more in international, not a ton, but just a slight allocation change because international stocks have started to do fairly well. They've already been through the recession or in, you know, in it. Um, and international stocks tend to do well after the dollar starts to weaken. We went on this increase where the dollar against other currencies was going way up. Now it's the other direction. And international stocks tend to perform well when that happens. So we're not talking about all in and all out. I would say that I just had this conversation with a client's daughter that's in finance is that, you know, they, they were, she was looking at, Oh, should I start taking classes on Forex trading and day trading and other things? And I said, honestly, over the almost 29 years that I've been in this business, the people that make the most money on those programs are the people that teach it to other people because they can get you to believe that. There's all this money to be made in day trading. And there are successful day traders, right? That are 
you know, never invested overnight. They're all in and all out using options, things like that. It's a full-time job, 10, 12 hours a day minimum. But that's not what most people do. They have their own job and they've got to, you know, invest. And honestly, in the long run, net of taxes, just buying good index funds and holding good individual stocks for the long term net of taxes, you can tend to outperform them anyway. So you do have to work on a rebalance, though. You have to make sure that you have a certain asset allocation target and stick with it and rebalance every so often. Um, there also have been, you know, several two year in a row declines. So for example, in 73, 74, the market was down about, I think if I look back off memory, it's about 45%, but it was up 60% over the next two years, but still took another year to actually recover. So that's why if you're going into retirement, you usually about five years prior to retirement, you want your portfolio to look like it's going to look the day you retire. Um, especially in a situation like this where we haven't had a true recession for a long period of time. We had COVID, which was an odd slip, you know, stop everything and then recover quickly after the government threw a ton of stimulus at us. We haven't had a true recession where the market can be down for a couple of years in a row. And so what, what ha- you don't want to be going into retirement during a good period of time like let's say it's 1998 or 2006 and you go to retire, but you haven't shifted your portfolio and then you go through a really deep, hardcore recession. If you have a plan and your plan is modeling those recessions, modeling what to do when the market does have a rough year, where were you, where are you going to get your, your income from? Um, and then you have a plan for when the market is positive during retirement, where every quarter you look at your portfolio and say, I've spent X number of dollars in cash. The stock market or the bond market is up. So I'm going to sell some of those things, pay taxes on the growth in some cases, but I'm going to replenish my cash and get ready for the next correction. So you, you, you're thinking positive, knowing that the market is positive over 70% of the time, but you're preparing for the negative, right? And that actually helps you sleep better at night. And to explain what that means when it comes to asset allocation and portfolio management and wealth management in general, It doesn't mean that you're going to be trying to outperform the market every year. So if the S&P 500 is up 12%, you're up 14. That's not what it means. It means that you're keeping up with the market in the good years, but you're outperforming in the bad years. So that over 10 to 15 year periods, your total return is the same or higher with less volatility. That is the goal. That is more the goal. So keeping up with the market in the good years and outperforming in the bad years is what you're trying to do. Now, a lot of what we talk about here is in the seven test events coming up that we have. So Rob Black and I are doing an event August 24th in Los Gatos at the Toll House Hotel, one of our favorite places to do an event. Um, and it's it's all about the tests that you need to put yourself through and your life through before you go into retirement, before you take that step to go in and say, hey, I'm, I'm giving my notice. I want to retire. Um Now, before any of these tests are actually completed, the first part is always up to you. And one of the toughest things that we have as certified financial planner practitioners, especially for higher income earners that don't necessarily keep a budget, they don't track exactly what they spend, but they know they're maxing out their 401k, their Roth, their backdoor Roth, after-tax contributions, they've created a portfolio outside of their 401k, and they're always saving 10 to 15% of, or, you know, 15 to 20% of pay, and they've saved up a large amount, but they don't track every, 
you know, item that they spend money on. Because they also know that, hey, right now, like for my, I have four kids. Next year, I'll have three kids in college. Those aren't my same expenses that I'm going to have when I retire. So expenses ebb and flow. We do have situations where people come in, they inherit a lot of money. Um, they have a large liquidation event for their company or for the company they work for. And they want to retire and they say, based on what I have, how much can I spend? And we have to work backwards on the budget. That's a different scenario. If you're saving just enough for retirement, you have to be able to know your expenses. Um, so any of these tests that I talk about, assume that you know what your discretionary and non-discretionary expenses are. So you have expenses that you know, put food on the table, keep the lights on in your home. Those are non-discretionary. But then you have to have activities, plans, hobbies that motivate you, that motivate you to get out of bed in retirement, that entertain you, that fulfill you. You got golfing, travel, philanthropy, pickleball. That's a huge one now. Whatever those plans are, um, especially the discretionary expenses, you need to know those numbers because the people that retire with a lot of money but no hobbies and no friends outside of work are some of the most miserable people that I've met and they focus on the wrong things in life rather than focus on rebuilding their social network outside of work, uh, volunteering travel. And again, I will tell you fitness is number one. It, concentrating on your health and fitness, especially prior to retirement so that you can actually enjoy the money that you've saved up is so important to me. So I started in this business at 19 years old. So this is this starting August is my 29th year in the business. And one of the things that I've determined is to do a lot while I'm physically able, because I know I can be mentally capable of working a lot longer period of time. So at this stage in life, I'd rather travel more with my kids, do all the things that I couldn't do as I, when I was building a business with three young kids, um, getting all that stuff done now while my body's healthy and everything else, because later in life, I'll still probably want to work. My grandfather worked into his eighties because he loved his clients. And that'll be the point where I want to, you know, more mentor other people and other advisors like my two sons that are likely going to be in the business. And, and my daughter that's going next year to start in the world of finance in college. So, you know, think about what you want to do with retirement. What's going to get you out of bed? What's going to help you focus on your health? What's going to fulfill you? If you look at that, is it Maslow's triangle where you have at the bottom physiological needs? Above that, safety needs. Above that, you have belongingness and love needs, which is intimate relationships and friends. Then you have above that, you have esteem needs, prestige and feeling of accomplishment. And then finally, self-actualization, which, you know, who knows if you ever get to that point. All very, very important, if not the most important part of retirement planning that nobody talks about is how you're going to deal with that. Then we can talk a little bit about the other tests that you can take once you figure that point out to make sure that you have enough to retire and you built a plan that can weather any storm that's going to come your way. Hi, this is Chad Burton. 
If you have questions about retirement and investing, it's time to get some answers. My website, chadburton.com, has a ton of resources. There are downloads to help you determine how long your money will last in retirement, links to our webinars, and several videos discussing everything from retirement planning to tax-efficient investing, estate planning, insurance, and even saving for your kid's college. While you're there, also check out our tax planning and estate planning services and our video explaining our online wealth management tool. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. This invaluable resource is able to show the values and allocations of all your accounts regardless of where they're held. Information is updated each day at the end of market close and these new numbers are fed into the financial projections we've created for our clients with the goal of constant financial clarity. You can find links to the podcast at chadburton.com and please like my Facebook page, New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. Talking about the seven test events that are coming up, that's coming up on August 24th. And one of the things I talk about is before you can do these tests, you've got to figure out, you know, basics of your expenses to start a uh, rough draft of a financial plan. And that's, it's kind of up to you what, what those expenses are because you have your non-discretionary expenses that you have to spend money on food, your utilities and things like that. You got your non-discretionary expenses or your discretionary expenses rather, which is the things I talked about, how you're going to have fun, how you're going to fulfill your life, how you're going to stay healthy. Um, and then there's another one that you have to think about too. And we calculate this as part of the overall financial plan. A lot of our, what we do is tax planning in retirement because you have to realize that you'll have all of those expenses that you, but you'll also have taxes, right? For most people that can afford to retire, 85% of their social security is taxable because of the way that the law works. You got to remember interest on bank accounts is taxable. A lot of people this year are making a lot more money on T-bills and bank accounts and interest in general. So taxes are likely going up in 2023 for people that paid very little in 2022. When you own stocks and bonds outside of a retirement account, dividends are taxable. And hopefully most of the interest on your bonds is tax-free bonds if you do it right. But the other thing to think about too is that when you do rebalance your portfolio, when you do say, hey, I've spent a certain amount of, of my cash, the stock market's up, so I need to sell some stocks or bonds and replenish the cash that I've spent, that's going to be a taxable gain. So we calculate what's the typical annual amount that you pay in gains on those portfolios and project it out into the future. Um, you may own a rental property and real estate income how that's taxed is it's the income minus all of your expenses and also minus depreciating the property or the, the structure on the property. And so not all of that's taxable, but some of it is. And then you have to realize that you have to start drawing out of your IRAs, 401ks, 403bs at age 73, slowly going up to age 75. The current age is 73. Um, but when you do pull money out of IRAs and 401ks, that is a taxable event. And so we talk about that, about that in test number three, but to run through these real quick, the things that we're going to talk about, and I'll, I'll do a full show on this in the coming weeks is how do you test your portfolio? Once you got all your expenses correct and bold, by the way, one of the things I forgot to talk about is, is Irma. You know, who is Irma? That's a name you haven't heard for a while, right? It's like Esther. Um, but Irma is, is a basically what Irma is. 
is when you make a lot of money in retirement, you end up paying more for the same Medicare Part B insurance. When you retire you, at 65, you get Medicare Part A for free, but you have to sign up for Medicare Part B unless you're still working for an employer um, that has a group plan. Um, if you forget to sign up in time, you can pay a penalty forever, but typically the average person pays $164.90 for their Part B uh, insurance. But if you're single making more than $97,000 or married finally jointly where your modified adjusted gross income, which includes your tax-free bond income, is over $194,000, you start paying more for your Medicare Part B premiums. You go from $164.90 to $230.80. And then the top bracket is $560.50. So what happens is people will go into retirement or at 65, they, they sell a bunch of stock options, a bunch of stock, a rental property or something. And they can all of a sudden two years later have this huge Medicare Part B premium. So that's something to think about when you're doing your planning. So once you have all those numbers in place, there's a couple of tests that you're, you'll do that we'll talk about more detail in a later show. The first one is a linear cash flow model. And this is the basic of any financial plan. You can say if, if my portfolios earn a certain average annual rate of return, and I like to use less than, you know, 6% or less for a balanced portfolio. Um, and I have a certain amount of inflation. You typically we're going to inflate normal costs at around two and a half percent and healthcare costs at a straight line of 5%. So you got, Linear cash flow, right? The same rate of return forever, which never happens in real life, and the same rate of inflation forever that never happens in real life. But you have to do that linear cash flow test to be able to see, do I have enough money potentially to last till age 100? Do I have enough money? That linear cash flow test. Then you got to test your portfolio for major market corrections. What will happen if your portfolio looks, you know, you go into another 2008 financial crisis or any kind of a recession Based on your current asset allocation, how would your portfolio drop? What would it look like? And are you comfortable with weathering the storm? So it's a risk tolerance quest test. Then we've got to go through tax optimization. You have different types of accounts. You have cash. You have 401ks that have never been taxed. You have Roths that have are tax-free forever. And you have money that's outside of retirement accounts. We have to calculate what is the best way to keep your taxes lower for longer. When you're working, you're trying to say, how do I pay the least amount of taxes this year? When you're in retirement, you got to say, how am I going to make this money last for 35 plus years? So you have to optimize your tax situation. Sometimes it's alternating from retirement accounts to taxable accounts. Sometimes it's blending it. Sometimes it's IRA to Roth conversions. Everybody is slightly different based on where they've saved money and what their tax bracket is. And that'll help lead to where you're drawing money from and how much safe money you need in each account. That's the safe money test. That's another one. Then we got to run this through actual stock market simulations where you take, here's what the stock market and the bond market and inflation has done over the last many years. Let's run over a thousand different scenarios to see if you can get a success rate using a Monte Carlo simulation of above 85%. Then you got to simulate what happens if you or your spouse goes into a long-term care or a nursing home for five years when you're 75 or 80. Who, what's left over? And then... Um, you know, doing your estate planning, that's also a very important part of testing your retirement plan. So again, I want you to think about though, to me, watching, you know, and dealing with retirement 
at a very early age working with my grandfather and then now throughout life as i've started to age concentrating on your health so that you can enjoy what you save is so extremely important in my mind. So make sure you focus on that. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show. You can find me at chadburton.com. You can request an appointment. You can sign up for the August 24th event and also download the podcast. Go to chadburton.com. Have a great day. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.